You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, From the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning and we ask, Father, that you would be pleased to bless us by opening your word to our hearts and vice versa, opening our hearts, O Lord, to your powerful word, that you would be pleased to accompany your word this morning, Father, with the work of the Holy Spirit, that not only would we gain understanding of these verses, Father, but you would truly minister these verses and these truths uh, to our hearts that we might enjoy transformation uh, through these verses father we know your word is powerful and we look to you O father with great anticipation as we study it in jesus name we pray amen and amen first thing i want to do this morning is really begin to open up the connection that we have here of our text to um the overall argument of Romans, because when you study any of the biblical books, the way we study these books, it's easy to get down in the verses and and almost get lost to where you almost forget, okay, where are we? Um, It it reminds me of, uh, I can remember being at a flea market years and years ago at Carlisle. I think we were, I don't know if we were at Carlisle or where we were, it's unimportant, but all of us, it was one of those car swap meets, you know, and, um, we had a friend with us and he was so fixated on the stuff that was for sale. He would just be looking down at the stuff and we'd be walking all over the place and he would periodically look up and have no idea where he was. I mean, he just, just lose all bearings and you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> He's a dear friend of ours and we love him to death. We can do that in Romans. We can be looking down at these verses and uh, we, we can suddenly look up and say, okay, what is the overall... Uh, argument here. So periodically, I like to uh, try to make these connections when we when we can. Romans eight is certainly on uh, uh, for many. It's the it's one of them. It, it may be the favorite chapter in all of the Bible. I know I've heard many people say Romans eight is my very favorite chapter. And as we study it, we're going to see why. You might not get that impression for much of the sermon that I'm going to preach this morning, but um, stay tuned. Um, But we come to these words in verse one, namely, there is therefore now uh, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you've heard me say before, the word therefore reminds us of what? It reminds us of what has come there before. And uh, we, can, we can clearly look immediately, if we just look immediately in the text backwards, 
And we might even recall verse 24 of chapter 7. If you look back there, uh, Paul has, has said, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And I think the word wretch might not be a word we use so much anymore. Maybe when someone <laughs> thinks of wretch, you might think of that line in Amazing Grace, uh, uh, where Amazing Grace saved a wretch like me. And maybe apart from that line, you never use the word wretch in everyday uh, conversation. It might not come up that much. A wretch is simply someone who is in a very unhappy state. And as we saw last week, Paul is speaking as a redeemed believer who is struggling with sin. And there are many people that get uncomfortable with that. Uh, they get so uncomfortable with that that they, they'll come up with all kinds of other schemes as to what Romans 7 is about. But let's just ask ourselves, does anyone here suppose that Paul was perfect? Completely perfect? No. Therefore, there was sin in his life, correct? Otherwise, he'd be perfect. Um, okay, that sin that was in his life would have been a struggle. Just like sin that's in our lives is a struggle. Uh, many just seem to refuse to, to embrace that. But as I explained last week, I mean, we need not read Romans 7 and think that Paul was falling into what we might call gross and hideous sin. Uh, as you walk with the Lord, as you mature with the Lord, as I said last week, you know, the common little everyday sins that maybe we don't think are really all that bad when we first come to Christ, they, they become more hideous to us, don't they? As you walk with the Lord. These things that we thought, okay, those little fibs that we tell and, you know, a word of slander here, a word of slander there, no big deal. But the closer you get with the Lord the more hideous and awful that stuff becomes. And, um, you know, listen, you can, you know, when you're debriefing from the day at night, you're laying on your bed and you're thinking about what you've done over the course of the day, it can be very painful, can it? As we think about that stuff. How could I do that? I, I determined that I wasn't going to do that today. And I went ahead and did it. And Lord, please forgive me. And, you know, this kind of sounds like it did last night. And we're kind of saying the same thing we said last night. And, you know, that kind of sounds like the same thing we were saying the night before and the night before. Well, we might be led to say the same thing that Paul says, wretched person that I am. How can I engage in such hideous thoughts? How can I speak such hideous things? Who will deliver me from this wretched body of death? Verse 25, right? And of course, verse 25 goes, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the point that I want to make this morning, because for much of this message, it might not sound like this is the point that I want to make, but trust me, the point that I want to make this morning is a real simple point. And it's, it's just one point, and it's simply this. If you look at verse 25, Paul is saying, but back to verse 24, who will deliver me from this wretched state? Or who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
The point that I want to make is that God has done this. Um, I didn't do this. You didn't do this. God has done this. And the title of this morning's message is Behold What God Has Done. Behold What God Has Done. Um, O wretched men and women we are, who will deliver us from these bodies of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. There you see in verse 25, there it all is. It's all of God. Now, if we move on to verse 1 of chapter 8, we come to these words. Maybe some of you have these words memorized. uh, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's just pause right there for a moment. I would submit to you that these words should absolutely take our breath away. They really should. But let's make a confession. I think that we can read right past these words almost with a drowsy eye, can't we? And I want to ask the question, why is that? I want to tease that out a little bit. How is it that we can read such a glorious verse and maybe not really be moved much at all? What, let's ask the first question, what does that say about us? Well, I suppose that it could say that we take it for granted. We do, don't we? We have a tendency as sinners to take every good thing that we have in our life for granted. We do. I mean, we live in in terms of the standards of most of the world. All of us live in absolute luxury. We take that for granted, don't we? And I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on us here. I'm just an observation. You know, don't think I'm trying to lay any guilt here. I suppose that we could say that we've heard it so many times that it's kind of lost its novelty. I think there's a bit of truth to that. There in all fairness, you hear this over. How many have heard Romans 8, 1 before many times? You hear it over and over. It loses some of its novelty. Fair enough. I think that's fair enough. We could say that our our familiarity with it has caused us to grow less surprised and awed by it. That happens. It won't happen in heaven, by the way. Uh, that isn't going to happen in heaven. That's, we're going to be just as awed by Christ Jesus after we've been there a thousand years and then we will have been the first time we laid eyes on him. So that's something that belongs down here on earth, not something that belongs in the new heavens and the new earth. So there's something wrong with that. But the point I really want to make this morning is I wonder if we really believe in condemnation anymore. Do we really believe it? I mean, let me say this. I mean, condemnation in this text, make no mistakes about it, it it means eternal ruin and misery and hell. That's what it means. It is the exact opposite of justification. You know, when a person is justified, they're able to stand in God's court. They're able to stand in God's presence. They're, They're now able, God is able now to adopt them into his family. They are now able to receive all of the blessings of heaven, all of the blessings that are attendant to the gospel, all blessings that are attendant to grace. Condemnation is the exact opposite of all of that stuff. 
We're not able to stand in God's presence. We're not able to receive adoption. We're not able to enter into the kingdom of God. We're not able to become sons and daughters of God. We're not able to receive the blessings that are promised in the gospel. And I think that there are hardly one in ten today that really believe this. And when I say one in ten, I'm not referring to the world. We shouldn't expect the world necessarily to believe this. I'm referring to the church in the West. I don't know. I'm throwing one in ten out there. I have no idea what the statistics are. I just know what I hear all the time. And not just from people. I don't even really blame so much of this on the congregations that are out there, the, the burden of this falls on people like myself who are teaching these congregations. Do, do those in Christian, so-called Christian leadership believe in condemnation anymore? Do we believe in this anymore? Um, I, I can have a lot of sympathy with not wanting to teach this. But believe me, especially right now, I have a lot of sympathy with it. It's, it's, it's such an agonizing subject, and it's such a subject that we retract from. It's a doctrine that is so dreadful that I think we have a tendency to want to push it so far back in our minds that we like kind of act like it's not there, don't we? And I have a lot of sympathy for that. I mean, we all kind of do that. It's kind of, I think it's a way that we kind of cope with it. And our culture really has largely wrote it off. I mean, the things that I'm beginning to talk about, I'm going to talk about, not for the whole course of this sermon, but for much of it, they're wrote off as a superstitious thing from the past. You know, this whole idea of condemnation. That was this superstition, superstitious fire and brimstone thing that they used to believe. You know, uh, that belongs in the past. And there are many other people today who are in counseling, who are in psychology and psychiatry that say, you know something, this is reprehensible. It shouldn't be uttered. And it's, it's actually quite harmful to people to utter things like. And that's what we hear all the time. That, like what I'm saying right now, actually could be harmful. Um, you know, you preach messages like this, they're probably not going to be your most popular messages. That's just the way it is. Few are going to say, preach it, Rick, and, and that's okay. I really, um, I mean, if we're saying preach it because you're happy someone is finally saying it, then that's great. But let's be careful when we say preach it. We don't want to be like um, the person I have in mind, and I've seen it before, where you'll have someone who, who preaches this almost like they enjoy it. Like they preach condemnation and they preach eternal judgment and they've got this grin on their face like they're kind of enjoying it. And good for them, you know, good for everybody, you know, good for those sinners who will. Man, we don't ever want to do that, do we? That is reprehensible. That is awful. Um, I... I don't like preaching this stuff. I'll just tell you right now. I, I do preach this stuff. You've heard it from me before and I will continue to preach it, but I'm not enjoying it. I don't like it. And I'll tell you why I don't like it. I really wish there was no condemnation. I really wish there was none. I really wish there was no one who perished eternally. I really wish that's the way it was, but that's not the way it is, is it? It's not the way it is. Uh, very often we don't want what we need and this is one of those subjects. Paul has been preaching it. You know, if you go back to Romans 8, 1 with me and back to the therefore, I promised you that I'd make some connections. We could actually spend a lot of time making all kinds of connections here, but I'm going to, I'm going to show you one more here 
The therefore of Romans 8.1 actually stems all the way back to Romans 1. All the way back to Romans 1, where the Apostle Paul, in fact, if you just turn back there with me for a moment, go to Romans 1 and go to verse 18, which is the beginning of what we've called the bad news, isn't it? In verse 18, Paul says the what? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, who are these folks that Paul is talking about? Who are these characters? I think our, I think we have a tendency to want to say, well, these are the most despicable characters in society. That's who these folks are. Uh, the wrath of God is upon the most despicable uh, characters in our society. You know, the, the really, really bad folks, the really the guys that are really monstrous and the, the women that are very monstrous. But if you look down to verse 21, you get a whole different picture. We're told that they knew God, yet they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So these are folks who don't engage in worship. That really broadens the field, does it not? That's quite frightening. It isn't just the monsters of our society, the monstrous, the most monstrous uh, folks that, is in, that are in view here. Uh, those who are not giving honor or thanks to God are those who are in view here. And in fact, John 3.18 tells us this. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Who is in view in Romans 1.18? All who don't believe. And some of them are really nice people. I mean to tell you, they're great people. If we want to measure them by the standards of, of by human standards, I have friends that do not believe. They will not bow their knee to Jesus. I love them. They're good people. If I was in trouble, I would call them. They would come to my side. They love me. They're good friends. Uh, they're people that we'd say, these are good, good folks. These are great folks. But the wrath of God is upon them. I don't think we really believe that. I mean, I don't think we really believe it. And, you know, the quotation is from the New Testament that I just shared. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That's not Old Testament stuff. Some of them say, oh, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament stuff. Well, no, it's not. God isn't a different God in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. It's one God. The Old Testament promises the Savior. The New Testament reveals him. It's the same plan. It's the same God. It's the same everything. These are New Testament. This is a New Testament verse. It's not Old Testament. It's New Testament. And John tells us whoever does not believe is condemned. Jesus, well, here are some New Testament verses. Jesus speaks of this condemnation. He speaks of this place 
as a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 8, 12, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 42, throw them in the fiery furnace, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 50, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 22, 13, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, or 24, 51, Matthew 25, 30, Luke 13, 28, just a small snippet of the verses in the New Testament that speak of this place. And then we have the famous cry in Luke 13, 3 and 8, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Do we believe that anymore? I mean, I can, if, if we don't believe this anymore, I can understand why. It's awful, isn't it? I don't want to believe it. Do you want to believe it? I don't really want to believe it, but, but I have to believe it because it's what the Bible says. I can't believe part of it and not believe all of it. If I, if I decide I want to just believe part of it, then how do I choose which part I want to believe? And if some of it is unbelievable, it all falls apart, doesn't it? I believe the whole book. Every, every, every common period, I believe the whole thing. Who wants to preach this? So, oh, man, if you like preaching this, you're sick. I don't think anyone is like preaching this. I, I don't believe Jesus liked preaching this, but he did. He did a lot, actually. If you study the Gospels, he preached on this subject a lot. I don't think that Isaiah liked preaching it, but he did. Read Isaiah's prophecy. He did. Jeremiah didn't like preaching it. That's very obvious. Read Jeremiah. He didn't like it. Um, he even comes to God and is like, oh, this message you're giving me to preach these people. Uh, Peter didn't like preaching it. Stephen and Philip, they didn't like preaching it. I, I don't... And what I mean by it's not the gospel. I love preaching the gospel. It's this doctrine, this particular part, the bad news of the gospel. And I don't believe Paul liked preaching it, but he did. And, and he, he did so in Romans 1, 2, and 3. And there were lots of people who didn't believe him. Just like there were lots of people who didn't even believe Jesus. Um, you know, you think of the story of Jesus descending down of the Mount of Olives. You know, we celebrate this descent on Palm Sunday, Jesus is descending down the Mount of Olives and at one point he gets a glimpse of the city. He gets the city of Jerusalem comes in view and what does he do? You know the story. He weeps, doesn't he? The author and founder of life looks upon Jerusalem and he weeps. Why is he weeping? He's weeping because well, he tells us in Luke 19.42, he says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. He's weeping because condemnation is real and condemnation is necessary. It's real and it's necessary. And we all know this. I mean, we embrace it every time we want justice. Every time we want justice, we're embracing judgment of some description. Every time we want justice, we're embracing Judgment. Someone, you know, someone cuts you off on the road. That's when you want mercy for that person, right? And you yell, oh, Lord, have mercy on this soul of this person. that just about run me in the ditch or took a turn that belonged to me. That's what happens, isn't it? Oh, if there's a tape player rolling in our car. <laughs> What would we find on that recording? Words of mercy? Words of justice? But yet when we cut the other guy off, 
We want mercy. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> mercy time. Am I right? I mean, does that sound familiar? I think the real reason the Romans 8.1 does not sweep us off our feet today is because we don't believe it anymore. We don't believe that anyone is condemned save the really bad guys. And I think that, not because I want to be unkind to any of us, but, I mean, listen, if our culture believed in condemnation, we couldn't live the way we live and we'd be flocking to Jesus in hordes, wouldn't we? If the culture believed it. But I'm not really talking about culture today. We shouldn't expect culture to believe this. I'm talking about the church. If the church really believed it, we would be much more. And again, I'm not saying this because I don't think you're not evangelizing. I think that you are. You come and tell me all the time that you're talking to this person, and you're talking to that person. So don't get the wrong impression from me here. I'm not, I'm not trying to like give anyone a guilt trip here. I'm just speaking in generalities about the condition of the church in the West here. If we really believed in condemnation, we would be more adamant to share the gospel, would we not? If we really believed that all these people were in a house that was burning down, we would be wanting to get them out of there, wouldn't we? I remember talking to a businessman. I've shared this story with some of you. I may have even shared it in a previous message. I don't remember. But I remember talking to this businessman in New Cumberland one time. I was in his, at his place of business out in his parking lot. And I was talking to him about the need for a savior. And uh, I was giving him the law and giving him the bad news. And at one point he just interrupted me. He said, man, you must really think I'm some kind of bad sinner or something, huh? And I didn't even pause. I just kept right on cruising. I said, no, I don't think that. I know that. And listen, um, just so you understand where I'm coming from, I know that about you because I know that about me. I'm a big time sinner in need of a savior. And just then this boat, a car, a truck was pulling a boat and it happened to stop. And on the back of the boat was this life preserver. And I, I, I saw that life preserver and I, I, I pointed his attention to it and I said, listen, if that guy who owns that boat over there threw that life preserver to you, would you grab it and clutch onto it? He looked at me like, no. He's, I said, no, why wouldn't you do that? He, he goes, there's no water. I said, yeah, you're standing on the cement, correct? So you don't presently have any need for that life preserver. But if you were in a raging tempest and 20 foot waves and you were drowning, nothing would look more precious to you than that round flotation device hanging off the end of that boat. And I'm here to tell you, you are so lost that you don't even know you're lost. And Jesus is that flotation device. It's the only one available. But if we don't believe in condemnation anymore, there's no need for Jesus, is there? There's no need for Jesus. So there's no impetus to change. There's no reason to change. There's no reason to repent. There's no reason to seek Christ and embrace Him. And the result is a culture who believes from the bottom of their hearts, we just don't need Jesus. That's the result. I, I shared with you a few weeks ago, I think it was on a Wednesday night, that one of the classes I had at seminary, 
It was taught by a professor who became a friend of ours, not just a friend of mine. Him and his wife became a friend of Tammy's too, Dr. Danny Prutel. I remember, boy, he can preach. This man can really, really rivet you. Um, God has really blessed him with the ability to communicate God's word. And I remember very early on in that class, maybe the third night or something, I don't remember. It was early in the class. And it was at night. And uh, it was in the fall and it was dark. And um, he was developing a passage out of Isaiah and he, he at once stopped. And uh, he said, listen, man, you need to know two things. Heaven is a real place. And there are people in there. And hell is a real place. And there are people there. And nobody is ever getting out of either. I got shivers up my spine. That just, and ever since then, I got to tell you, I am scared of hell. I am afraid of that place. And the more I've learned about heaven over the years, and the new heavens, and the new earth, the more afraid I am of its alternative. It's nothing that we should make jokes about. We do. But it's a real place. As we embrace that, what is going to be more glorious than Romans 8.1? Are you in Christ Jesus this morning? Well, I don't know. How do I know? Are you trusting in Him this morning? Are you trusting Him? Are you, are you trusting Him with your soul? I believe I am. This is what I like to preach. You will never go to that awful place. You will never go there. You will never be there. And some of us are really sensitive, and you, you know, and it's okay that you're really sensitive, and it's actually wonderful that you're really sensitive. And sometimes you'll send me text messages or want to talk, and it'll be like, you know, there's this issue, there's this thing, you know, and I keep repenting of, and I keep doing it, and it's 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 just really plaguing me, you know. You know what's going on with you? You're growing. It leads you to make you think you're failing and it leads you to make you think that you're falling down. It leads you to make you think you're some kind of, maybe not even a Christian at all, but what's going on is God is increasing your sensitivity to things that you used to be able to do with joy. And He might leave you that way for a while. It's in His, it's in his care. It's in His care. Be thankful that it's in His care, not ours. Be thankful it's not in mine. Be thankful it's not in yours. You're growing. He's teaching you to hate it. Do you hate it? There's no condemnation for it. He may discipline you for it. But he disciplines those he loves, doesn't he? I don't care what it is. There's no condemnation for it if you're trusting in Christ. Look at the verse. Everybody look at Romans 8.1. What does it say? I think I hear it saying there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's it mean to be in Christ Jesus? It means to believe and trust in Him. There's no condemnation for it. How can that be? How does God do this? How does He do it? How does He pull it off? Verse 3. 
For God has done what the law weakened, what the law, I'm sorry, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by setting his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. What does all that mean? It means simply this. The law is unable to empower us to follow it. In fact, in our study, we've seen what does the law do? When the law hits the ears of a person who has a sinful nature, which is all of us, it actually excites us to sin even further, doesn't it? It excites us to sin even further. So the law cannot empower us to embrace it. In fact, the law does the actual opposite. But God has done something. You see, the title of this message is not condemnation. You could leave here and say, well, what did Rick talk about this morning? Talking about condemnation. That's all he went on about. No, I don't want you. To, you see, it sounds that way. But what I want you to really look at this morning is behold what God has done. Verse three. That's our scripture memory verse this morning, isn't it? Behold what God has done. You see, he has done something that you can't do and I can't do and none of us can do even collectively. He has done what the law could not do because it's weakened by our sinful nature. He has sent his son. Oh, what is his son come to do? You know the answer to that question. He came to live this perfect life. What does he need the perfect life for? He's already perfect. Well, his perfect life is not for his benefit. The perfect life is for our benefit. Because you see, he wants to give that perfect life to all of those who need a perfect life. And quite frankly, that's all of us, isn't it? We need a perfect life. We don't have a perfect life. But that don't even register with us much, does it? How many woke up this morning and said, man, I know, Lord, today perfection is required for me. Did anybody wake up and say that to themselves? Has anybody ever said that to themselves? Do you realize that that's actually true? Perfection is required of us. You see, Jesus woke up and he said, perfection is required of me and it's my good pleasure to live in perfection because I love you, Father. I love you, Father. And I'm here to save them. I love them too, Father. I love everyone that you've given me. And that perfection was for our benefit so that he could take that life to the altar of his justice, the cross, and offer that, offer that life as a sin offering. For who? For all who put their faith and trust in him. So that we could read Romans 8.1 and have our breath taken away by it. So that we could read, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you would bless us to the ends that this verse would take us off our feet, that these verses would take us off our feet. As we continue to study Romans 8, Father, we pray that the grace and the truth and the blessing of Romans 8 would literally take us off our feet. And motivate us, O oh Father, to a, just a new plane of, uh, of spiritual alertness, 
a new plane of walking with you that we would find ourselves walking with you, O Father, in an ever closer, close way, but that we would also discover your love afresh and discover your mercy afresh and discover and behold what you have done in our place. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.